Two things that are not in the scriptures that I can't find are altar calls and sinner's prayers, repeated sinner's prayers. Those are not in the Bible. Everyone says, no, there's an altar call in Acts chapter 2. No, people broke. That wasn't an altar call. I'm not against altar calls, and I think they can be good. I'm not against sinner's prayers, and I think they can be good. But I have no requirement to put my faith in those two things because they're not in the Bible. And the reason I say that is because God has no requirement to back those things up because they're not in the Bible. Now, I'm not against people doing it. I've even had to do it many times, and you've heard the stories when they tell me to do a sinner's prayer at a conference, I do the most painful sinner's prayer ever. I mean, I just, it goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. And then halfway through, people are like, I'm going to go back and sit down. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the point. Like, 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 if you're really honestly seeking the Lord, you'll find him. If you really want to give your life to Jesus, you will. If God does a work, he does. I think too many times we have all these systems that God has no requirement to back up. And so when it comes to the gospel, sometimes we believe the gospel is God loves you. He doesn't want you to stay the way you are. Pray this prayer and it makes you go to heaven. Raise your hand if you've seen or heard that presented exactly like that. But those are not untrue statements. They're just statements with holes in them like Swiss cheese. I want cheddar, okay? I want the whole thing. I don't want... You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like when I go to a restaurant, like you want cheddar or Swiss cheese. So you want to charge me the same for half or whole? I'll take the whole, you know. I don't even care what it tastes like. I just want all my money's worth, okay? Well, in the same way, the gospel we keep presenting, it's the, it's the right substance. It's just not the full substance. And then we don't understand why we have halfway conversions, which are not, not conversions at all. And so just going to this area, I, I just want to say, for the record, I'm not against altar calls. I'm sometimes for them. Um, I used to do an altar call that was kind of systematic. <laughs> I would always say, I would present the gospel, and I'd be like, you know, I'd kind of give a long push on if you, if you know you need to be right with God, you know you're on way, your way to hell, you know that you're not living for Jesus, you know if you died right now, you'd go straight to the devil's hell, you know that, and you know you need to repent. I mean, like, push, push, push. I'd say in a minute, I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, you jump to your feet. And if that's you, honestly open yourself up to God and make yourself known, and, and, and you'll make a declaration, and I'd say I'm going to count to three, but I won't count twice, and I won't count to four. And I had pastors that would suddenly go, just count again. Like, like there's more. I'm like, no, because if it's real, it's real. And even that, even that though, the standing up, that doesn't automatically guarantee salvation. Um, but I did my best as many of you try to push that information, hoping that that presentation, just like the area of water baptism is a presentation of what God's done, that sometimes people will get born again in that moment. But I never say, all those people stood up, you're going to heaven. How do I know that? How do I know that? Only God and that person would know that. So I think it's a, it's a horrible thing, and it can hurt people to say things like, well, you prayed the prayer, you went to the altar, you're going to heaven, everything's fine. We don't know those things. I also think it's, it's kind of messy when we base our whole theology on what one person experienced. Meaning, I told this one guy that God loved him, it radically changed his life, and now he serves the Lord. I'm like, you can't, but you can't make that systematic. That was wonderful. That was the Holy Spirit. That was what he needed to hear that God was trying to touch his heart with, and it all came together for him. But you can't end up saying, that's what I'll do forever. Even in the area of presenting the law, although it's, it's biblical and I know it's needed and I push on the area, I have preached the gospel to people and knew that we could skip that. Because the Holy Spirit said, they already know that part. What they don't know is grace. And so I don't then make that a new system. It's like, no, I take all this information and I present it. And especially behind a pulpit, that's your area you present all of it. But we don't make systems out of any of it. And when we get to altar calls and sinners' prayers, it's systematic. It's religion. And we're trying to sell people things that can't possibly save them. And I'm not putting my faith in something that's not in the Bible anyways. Because God's not backing up stuff that's not in the Bible. So if you grab your Bible, go to Mark 16, 15. We'll start there. 
The Great Commission. The Great Commission is found in Matthew 28, Acts chapter 1, Mark chapter 16, and Luke chapter 24. Uh, but go into all the world and preach the gospel. Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What he means is go to everybody. I don't like it when people go to preach the gospel to certain people. I like to preach the gospel to every kind of person. I, I look for the creature that's rich, the creature that's poor, the creature that's black, the creature that's white, the creature that's yellow, the creature that's green even. I don't care. Whatever it is, I don't like it when we say the gospel is for, you know, crack addicts. Well, it is. It is. But it's also for, like, really rich Hollywood people. And it's for your everyday coworker. You know, it's, it's for, you know what I'm saying? It's blue collar, white collar. It's all of it. The gospel is for people with skin. That's the best way we can sum summarize it. One person, many people, but one person not too long ago, they say, I love your ministry because you can reach the people that others can't reach. And I always respond with, you mean people with skin. And they look at me like, I don't get it. That's the point of the gospel, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That means you don't have to like them. You don't have to be like them. You don't have to think you're better or worse. It doesn't even matter. If they're a creature, if they're breathing, they have skin, give them the gospel. So the question is, what is the gospel? Well, first I'm going to give you this from Scripture. I'm going to give you five Scriptures that I use anytime I go preach the gospel. On the streets, from a pulpit. These are five Scriptures. I just pull them out of my spirit if I'm asked to preach the gospel. Just remember these forever. Because you're going to have some situations where someone's going to say, what is the gospel? You know, if I, if I went around, maybe I should do this for real, like create a survey and find every single pastor I know or I'm connected to or somehow connect and send them a thing saying, what is the gospel? I bet none of them would be the same. We're talking about pastors. Or if I ask the question, why did Jesus have to die? When someone says to me, uh, Jesus died so that you could go to heaven, I'm like, that doesn't even make any sense. That makes no sense. Uh, Jesus died because God loves you. I'm like, that doesn't even make any sense. You're leaving something out that's so big. Some, there's got to be something else, that story. These are, these are things that people say. And so we're leaving these holes in the gospel, and it's no wonder the world doesn't get it. I also, before I read these, I want to say another area. Another area is I don't like it when people say, Christians go to heaven. I think that's a terrible perspective. Because then you have lost people say, are you saying only Christians go to heaven? I always say, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's not, are, then they'll say, are you saying that other religions go to heaven? No, 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 no. I'm saying that nobody goes to heaven based on religion. Just because you tick mark the Christian box doesn't mean that you're born again. Only sinners who repent and are remade in a born again experience go to heaven. So when someone says, are you saying that only Christians go to heaven? Always go, no, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, I'm not even saying that people that call themselves Christians go to heaven. I'm saying sinners who repent go to heaven. Okay, they put their trust in what Christ did. Those are, those are answers that the world goes, oh, okay, we're not talking about Christianity. We're talking about this man named Jesus and why he died. Amen. It's a much better way to present the gospel. Let me give you five scriptures really quick. Matthew 121, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That second half will preach all day long. The entire gospel can be presented from that scripture. Let me go to Mark chapter one. I'm just gonna run through these. Mark chapter one, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I like to actually kind of put a word in there that definitely works in the text believe on the gospel many times people think believe in the gospel means i believe in god mean i believe there is a god when we talk about believing the gospel it means to lean upon that truth so you can actually kind of stick that in and say believe on the gospel is a better way to say it go to romans chapter 5 verse 8 but god demonstrates 
his own love toward us. That's huge. The word demonstrate means that he did something to prove it. For God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we were sinners, but while we were still in a sinful state. All right, go over to Isaiah 53. Four and five, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Of course, this is 700 years or so before Christ actually went to the cross. Prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. Even non-Christians, if you show that to them and ask him who he's talking about, they all say Jesus. And so it's a very provable scripture that the Bible knows what it's talking about. But more than anything, it tells what Jesus did when he went to the cross. Um, Acts 3.19, it's my last scripture. I'm giving, giving these fast for a reason. I know you're familiar with almost all of them, if, if not all of them. But what I want you to remember from these scriptures is the next time someone asks you, well, what is the gospel? Open up the Bible to one of these. You'll find very quickly they're telling the story, and you can just pick pieces from it and describe everything that is in the gospel very easily. Uh, Acts 3.19, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That would be, to me, right behind Romans 5.8 is the most thorough one scripture that would present the gospel. Uh, and so I'll say this to you again because you're going to need these. Matthew 121, Mark 115, Romans 5.8, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, and Acts 3.19. I'll say them one last time. Matthew 121, Mark 115, Romans 5.8, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, Acts 3.19. If you've ever needed to write a note down, this would be a note you need to write down. I'm going to say it one more time for the people that just now caught up. Matthew 1.21, Mark 1.15, Romans 5.8, Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, and Acts 3.19. These are scriptures that you will need in the future because you don't know it, but God's going to use you much more in the coming days to preach and present the gospel. And you don't want to give away Swiss cheese. You want to present the good stuff and you don't want to hold anything back, and you're going to need those. So the question is, what is the gospel? Those scriptures break it down, but I want to put it simply in six pieces. If you want to take notes, these would be good notes to take, because you could literally just read these to somebody if you needed to. And so number one, uh, what is the gospel? Number one, the first part, man is a sinner. It's really easy. Man is a sinner. Uh, the Bible defines sin as lawlessness. Lawlessness does not mean living without a law. It means living as if there's no law. Uh, it means that I'm driving down the road and I didn't see the speed limit, so who cares? I'm like, who cares? It's like it's not there. And then the cops like, I'm giving you a ticket anyway, and you're like, wow, that's even making sense. It's like, it's like I didn't see it, you know. Um, it's acting like it's not there. But we know from Scripture that the law of God or the God standard, His His level of what is holy, what is not holy, what is good, what is bad, He's written it on your heart, and you can't get away from it. Like, no matter who you are, I don't care what kind of Satanist background you are, like, like something in there, it, you, can't, you can't run away from it. You know for some reason it's wrong to lie. You know it's wrong to steal. You know it's even wrong to covet. You know it's wrong to, uh, to commit adultery. Um, I know that people say, oh, it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter when the other guy's still married to her. You know what I'm saying? There's a part of you, okay? There's a part of you that just knows there's a problem. And so all of these things, and Jesus, of course, makes these more, more difficult. He says, if you lust in your heart, it's the same as adultery. Uh, and then John says that, you know, you might not think you're a murderer, but if you hate your brother, it's the same as murder. And so we have this internal thing. And, you know, in the area of hate, it's kind of interesting because even though hate is not listed in the Ten Commandments, which is basically the law of God, the standard of God, the holiness of God, um, 
We all know that hatred's wrong. That's why people get so crazy about racism, because we know it's wrong. But it's not because the hate is actually the big part. It's that that represents murder. It's a murderous spirit. And so these are the things that you can't get away from. And the fact is, you and I were born into sin. Then we have been participators in sin. We have found ourselves comfortable in sin. We have purposely tried to sin and accomplish sin. And then we have thought about new ways to sin. And then we have blessed those that sin. So as much as we want to sit around and say, well, no one's perfect. No, we're, we're incredibly imperfect. We are deeply flawed. There's a desire in the flesh to break God's standard and to serve ourselves. So number one, man is a sinner. Number two, God is good and just. Therefore, he must judge sin. God is good and God is just. Therefore, he must judge sin. You have to kind of present this to people and the way it is, is that if God is good, he can't let evil slide. If God is just, he can't ignore injustice. If God is righteous, he can't just, uh, you know, put a blind eye to things that are evil. Uh, God is very aware of evil, including our own. God is very aware of injustice, including that which we have committed. God is very aware of sinful purpose and actions and desires, including ours. So I can't stand around and say, well, if God's so good, why, does he, why is he you know, judging people and sending them to hell? Uh, I always ask this, if God is so good, how does anybody get to heaven? Like, if God is so righteous and so just, I mean, like, it's so thorough. He's greater than any judge upon the Supreme Court or any other court in the land. He is thorough. He is righteous. He is complete. He is absolute. He lets nothing out of his sight for a moment or for a day or for a year. He sees it. He accounts for it. And he must because he's righteous and he's pure and he's good and he's just. And if he wasn't just, he wouldn't be good. And if he, is, if he wasn't good, he wouldn't be just. And if he is good, he must be just. And if he is just, then he must be good. God is good and God is just. Therefore, he must judge sin. That includes mine. That includes yours. Number three, God is kind. Therefore, he gave Jesus as the payment for man's sin. God is kind. God's justice cannot be ignored or put on pause. At the same time, God's kindness cannot be ignored or put on pause. He has a dilemma that he created in himself. The dilemma is, I am perfect and must do all things perfect, which includes judging sin perfectly but I am kind thoroughly. And I, ha I have an absolute desire to be kind to my creation. But in the kindness, he cannot get rid of the justice. But likewise, in his justice, he can't throw away his kindness. Okay, in a very, 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 very lowly, simple sense, it's the parent who loves their child enough to discipline them. You say, I can't. I can't not discipline you because I have to discipline you. But I can't help but love you because I, I, I can't get away from my love for you. And so God is so just, but he's also so kind. So he's so kind that he gave Jesus as the payment for man's sin. Meaning he must judge sin. So in a sense, he judged himself in a sense. Not as being a sinner, but being as a sacrifice for sin. He gives Jesus his son, born of a virgin. Uh, that means that he was born of the spirit of God, but at the same time of the flesh of man. So he's the son of man. He's the son of God. He lives 33 perfect years 
uh, being a complete, uh, I, I, this sounds funny, but law-abiding citizen in a sense. He didn't break any law that was given to him by God. He kept the moral code completely, including even the priest code and, complete, and the Levitical code and all these things. He kept them all. He broke none. People always say he broke some. He didn't break them if you look through them. And so then he gives himself as a perfect sacrifice willfully, dies upon the cross at the hands of sinful man. But this entire thing was orchestrated by God the Father because God the Father is just, so someone had to die for our sin. But God the Father is kind, you didn't have to. I'll say it again. God the Father is just, and he must punish sin. Somebody had to die for our sins, and he gives his son. But God the Father is so kind, he said, you don't have to die for your sins. Number four, man, seeing his sin, must repent. I say that that way on purpose. That man cannot truly repent if he's still ignorant of his crime. I'm not saying man is innocent, but man cannot truly repent until he sees his faults. That means you cannot repent while still making excuses. You cannot repent for something you don't think is wrong. You cannot repent for something you didn't think you did or something you didn't mean to do. Sometimes when it comes to sin, we sin against God or we sin against people and then they catch us. Or God catches us and we go, yeah, I did it, but I didn't mean to. Yeah, that means nothing. It means nothing to say I didn't mean to. Like, who cares? Well, but I, did, but I didn't mean to lie. I didn't mean to steal. I didn't mean. I didn't mean to reach in your back pocket and pull out your wallet and find that $20 bill and then use it for myself. I didn't mean to do I was totally an accident. I didn't mean to. Like, we start talking like three-year-olds all of a sudden. I didn't mean to. That, but that's not my heart. Oh, but I didn't mean that. I wasn't trying to hurt anybody. And, they, and we have these people just going to like these little like fits. So, but I, did, I can't believe you're judging me because I didn't mean to. You know, who cares? Like, who cares? You did it. Like, you did it. So who cares? Like repent, and, and, it's, and you can't actually repent until you see that you, that you did it. You, you don't have to see if you meant to or didn't mean to. It's that, do you own up that you did it? When you own that you did it, then you can repent. So, so number four is man seeing his sin must repent. That means he sees the damage that he has caused himself and those around him. But more than that, he sees the crime he has committed against God. When you, when you purposely Act against your own conscience that you know. I mean, come on. When's the last time you lied and you knew you should? You know, you, no, it doesn't happen. Every time you've ever lied, you knew you shouldn't. That's why you work so hard at lying. That's why we hook people up to like lie detectors. And we, and we tell our kids, look me in the eye and say that, you know. I do that to adults. Say it again, but look me in the eye, you know. And you find out their acting skills, you know. But, but when we tell lies, when we, when we steal, when we, lie, when we break the standard that's put in our hearts, we do it willfully, so we must see that. We must say, it doesn't matter if I wanted to, meant to, had a good reason to, or not a good reason, if it was selfish, or if it was whatever it was. I did it, and I see the problem that I sinned against God primarily, and then myself or others secondly. But I must repent of that. Meaning, it's not irrational to tell someone, you must repent. I say that to a lot, I mean, honest, I say that to a lot of people when I'm presenting the gospel. When they get to that place, I'm like, yeah, but it's wrong. You got to repent. It's not bad news to know that the sin is a problem and it must be turned away from. So number four, man seeing his sin must repent. Number five, man must fully trust the payment of Jesus as his only right standing with God. I'll say that again. Man must fully trust the payment of Jesus. That means man must say, that is my lifeline. That's my only lifeline. That what Jesus did on the cross is the only payment for my sins. I accept that. I don't mean like I accept it like a package. I mean like I deal with that. Like that's the truth. 
I'm sobered by the idea that he did everything for me and I can do nothing for me. So man must fully trust the payment of Jesus as his only right standing with God. Do, do you know that's, that's why we pray in the name of Jesus? Like we, Father, in the name of Jesus, what we're saying is I come to you based on what Jesus did for me. I'm using his name based on what he gave me in his life. I don't come to you in my name. I don't come to you because I'm a human. I don't come, I come to you because I know the only reason I can come to you is because of Jesus. That's why you pray in the name of Jesus, by the way. Do you understand? The same way, that's why we cast out demons in the name of Jesus. We do miracles in the name of Jesus because we're saying, oh, it's not me. I could never do that on my own. I'm doing that based on what he did for me. So I'm actually releasing the authority given to me because I trusted what he did for me. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. I don't, I don't know if you ever thought that through. It's like I'm coming to him saying the key is his name that I've been given. Father, I come to you based on what Jesus did. Now, we're, now let's have a conversation. Like that's the only reason I have, have the ability to come to you. So five, man must fully trust the payment of Jesus as his only right standing with God. And number six, and this is where we want to go tonight. Number six, man needs a new heart free from sin. This can only be given by God. I'll say it again. Man needs a new heart that is free from sin. That can only be given to him by God. Okay, so, so in the midst of uh, man's a sinner, God must judge sin, but God is kind, so he gives Jesus. Man, understanding his sin, must repent, but man must fully trust in what Jesus did for him on the cross. is the only right standing with God. And, and then, wait, I need a new heart, because if, if you don't change me, I will still be the same corrupt being that I was. And so, yes, I'll pray a prayer. I'll go to a meeting, but when I walk out those doors, man, I'm going straight back to what I was doing because I do not have the ability to change myself. That's why sinners' prayers should be cautionary. It should be, it should be a concept of like this. Before I walk you through this prayer, you got to understand it doesn't save you. That, that unless God gives you a new heart, you're just as damned and doomed as you were before we said, Father. Before we said, I, I, I believe. And before, if I get you to the altar and I get you, I should really stop you and go, you got to understand, this is a great step. You're making a great move. You came all the way down here to tell everyone you need to get right with God. You're going to pray a prayer that's really good. I've worked on it. It's really polished. It has all the points. I got it all. And you're going to say those things. And then we'll send you to the back room and we'll give you some literature and we'll make sure you're right with God and we'll pray it again. Then we'll get your phone number and we'll get your email and we'll get your address. And then we'll call on you in about a week. We'll make sure you get back to church. I'm telling you, all of that's nothing. Unless God gives you a new heart. Because unless God responds and gives you a new heart, you are exactly in the same place you were when we started. You need a new heart that is free from sin. And the only person that has that kind of substance to give away is God. So yeah, you're a sinner and God's going to judge you if you stay a sinner, if you stay in sin. But praise God, he's been good to us. That he gave Jesus to us so that Jesus could pay the fine that we didn't have the ability to pay. And understanding my sin against the holy God, I must repent. I must turn from my sin and I must turn in faith to God and trust fully what Christ did and only what Christ did when he went to the cross as a penalty and a payment for sin. But I need a new heart. I need a new heart that's different than my old heart. I, I need... I need an experience that only God could give me. Church couldn't supply me. Good works couldn't fulfill. I need God to give me his holiness 
in way of my spirit. I need cleansing. I need washing. I need change. I need conversion. I can't be another version of me. I need to be a new version that is free from sin. And nobody on planet earth has a heart naturally free from sin. So it's going to have to come by way of the Holy Spirit representing the love of the Father through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for my sin. He's going to have to give me part of him. And I'm going to need a start over, a restart. It'd be like getting born all over again. I need something like a born again experience where I'm absolutely new and everything I was is dead. I need a new heart and only God can give that. That's the gospel. That last part should put fear in us in a good way. It should make every person in this room say, wait, do I have a new heart? Or do I have a refurbished heart of what was? Many churches are selling refurbished hearts. It means this, it's not new, it's refurbished. It's a used heart, it's your heart that you used up and it got dirty and it got grimy and it got sinful and it became problematic and it caused you issues. And then we're gonna show you how to refurbish that thing, which is come to church, Pray some prayers, raise your hands, you know, do a little baba, taba, mama, like whatever it is. And we're going to teach you how to walk out and act like a Christian. And then we're going to give you activities to do. We're going to put you on the evangelism team. We're going to put you on the prayer team. We're going to put you in the choir. We're gonna, I mean, whatever it is, we're going to get you active. And if you stop being active, then we're worried about you. But if you stay active, then you're a Christian. That's a refurbished heart. That's not a born again new heart. Yeah, because I can't get into heaven with anything that's still me. I can't show up to heaven and say, like, well, my heart, it's, it's like the one I was born with. It's the spirit man I was born with in this place called sin, and it got worked out. And so it's better, and I'd like to come in. And they're like, do not defile eternity with that same mess that you had before. You have to come in here with the same stubs, substance that is in here. That means the only way I get into heaven is if I already have heaven in me. I have to have the work of the Holy Spirit in me to get into the place where he resides for eternity. So we can't keep selling a refurbished, systematic, religious tradition of what Christianity is or what the gospel is. We have to stop eating Swiss cheese in the spirit, and we have to say, no, 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 I need a whole experience. I, I need to see my sin as, as sin against God. I need to see how eternally damning that is if I don't deal with it. I need to understand that Jesus went to the cross out of God's kindness, but also out of God's justice against sin. And that Jesus did the work that no man, no woman, no child if that's been or will be could have ever done for me. And that in seeing my sin, I must repent. That's rational. That's reasonable. There's nothing unreasonable about telling me to repent. You should yell it, shout it, repeat it at me. Because I understand it's reasonable. If I've sinned against my creator, I should turn from these things before my creator. And then I should receive only what Jesus did for me as my right standing with God. And then, dear God, I need a new heart. And I pray it until I have it. And when I have it, you can't take it from me. And when I have it, I know that I have it. And I don't have to wonder if I have it. And I don't have to think, well, I don't know. Do I have it? I got saved on Sunday, but am I still saved on Monday? If I'm saved, come on, I've been born again. Too many times we even use the word saved. Most people don't even know what you're being saved from. They go, I'm being saved from hell. And I'm being saved from my past. And I'm being saved from sin. And how about this? You got saved from the judgment of God. 
And how did that happen? God himself had to get involved because there's nobody bigger than God that can say, hold on, let me hold you back on judgment. Only God himself could stop his own justice. So that means God has to be involved. God's not looking for me to be better. He needs me to die so he can live within me. Tonight, no matter where you've been, where you are, you have to ask yourself, do I know? Do I, have I been born again? Do I have two stories in this life, the one that was and the one that now is, and are they completely different? Am I living now in the grace of God, trusting Jesus and what he did, or am I still trying to work at this thing called salvation? Am I still trying to, to be a good Christian or to accomplish things and, and make myself presentable? Do I have a refurbished heart, or do I have a renewed and absolutely converted heart? 